Well, good evening. My name is Garrett. I'm on staff here at Spring Lake Church with the student ministries, and we're so glad to have you here for our Good Friday service. For, so I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone that is here, those who are new and those who have been here for a while. We're just really glad to have you here, and we can reflect on this day together. And as Christians, we love this week. This season, Holy Week, is really important to us. A lot has happened, and we love the triumphal entry. We love Jesus coming in on the donkey with everyone screaming his name, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we look towards Easter and we love the day. We love thinking about the re- resurrection. But it feels like at times, Good Friday is kind of forgotten about. It's kind of swept under the rug. And it's not a day that we really spend the time to really reflect on it, what actually happened that day and the price that had to be paid that day. It makes sense. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun to sit in the feelings we reflect inward about our sin and realize the price that had to be paid for it. But we look and we see that Jesus paid the price. We all answer, we all, all want to answer the, answer the question of why did he do it? And it relates to the title of our series, he did it because of love. That's why Jesus died for us. Like Candy said, we were reading through uh, Romans 5, 8. That's our memory verse for this series. And so I'd just like all of us to read through it together as a congregation. Follow along with me. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying the price for the sins that we could not pay, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this evening, Lord, and I pray that as we go from here, Lord, as we go throughout Friday and Saturday, I pray that we'd be reflecting on that price that had to be prayed, paid for our sins, Lord. In your holy name, amen. So I've always thought about what my last words are gonna be. I always thought it was such a cool idea of the last words that I would ever speak. I wondered what they'd be, and I still wonder what they're gonna be, even though I'm only 24, I wonder what people will think about them. I wonder what they will say about them because our last words, they impact people. It, kind of re- it should be a reflection of our legacy that we leave behind. We all wanna leave behind some last words that people hold on to, that people cherish, that when people think of us, they think back to our last words and say, oh, I remember when Garrett said that. I remember when I was, when I heard, I heard those last words that he said. And so I was scanning through and I was looking up some famous last words that I thought are, that I thought, wow, if I could have these last words, it'd be fantastic. One was from Nathan Hale. He was a young revolutionary when the US was revolting against England. And his last words were, I only regret that I had but one life to lose for my country. He was a spy for the US and he was in the gallows right before he was hung. And he said those words, those words that ring true of heroism and patriotism and valor, words that I think that we all wish we could have, that we could stand up against evil and say one last hurrah against it. Or we want maybe words that are a little bit more intimate, words that are a little bit more kind, words that express love that we have for our family. Uh, The late Vince Lombardi, coach for the Green Bay Packers, his last words to his wife were, Happy anniversary, I love you. 
I think about those words, thinking, expressing love for our spouse, expressing love for our family. Those are all words that we'd want to have, words of valor, words of love for someone else. And tonight we're going to zoom in on the last words of Jesus, and we're going to see how the cross is ultimately his ultimate act of love for us. And so we're going to be in the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. So you can turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, or if you want, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, um, go to events in the Spring Lake Church downtown, and we will have all the passages and the sermon notes for you. And so we're just going to jump right in. We'll be in Luke 23, 24 for our first passage. And we see that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So we see Jesus' first words from the cross. They come as an intercession. They come, Jesus interceding on the behalf of someone else. And we would think that it comes on the behalf of his loved ones, his mother that was there, the disciples that were there watching him being crucified, that's what we think would happen, that Jesus would cry out to them and comfort them in this time and watching the man that they had been for his mother their entire life and for his disciples the last couple years be tortured and crucified. But instead we see Jesus intercede on the behalf of his enemies, the people that had put him on the cross, the religious leaders that had been hunting him for years, that had been planning to kill him for years, and the Romans that have just been going along with it. Those are the people that Jesus prays on, his behalf, on their behalf, the people that have been torturing him and mocking him. He prays, Jesus prays to God that, that, he, that God would seek forgiveness on these people, that he'd give mercy to them. He says that they don't understand the fullness of what is actually going on, that they don't know the totality, they don't know the full scope, they don't see the plan that has been laid out since the beginning of time, they don't see all of that. They don't understand who Jesus really is. And because of that, just forgive them for what they're doing because they do not actually know what they are doing. The way that this forgiveness comes through is Jesus interceding on the behalf of those people. We see that forgiveness comes from the cross, not our efforts. Forgiveness comes from the cross, not our efforts. And see, we've tried and failed, and we've tried and failed, And then we've tried and failed to win over God, whether intentionally or not. Maybe for us, we have been, we've grown up in a background where we need to perform, where we need to be good. We need to do the one more thing. We need to serve a little bit more. We need to give a little bit more. We need to be in the certain small groups. We need to do things more to win God's favor, to win over that forgiveness. Or maybe it's just some unintentional thing in the back of our mind. Maybe it's some disbelief, maybe some unbelief about the true character of God that forces us to live in a way where we think it's about what we do. But the reality is this all comes from the cross. And I fall into this trap too. Uh, I am a fixer, and my fiance would say that more. (laughs) She would say that very truly, that I love to fix things, that when something goes wrong, I want to fix it. I have to ask her at times, do you want me just to listen to you or do you want my advice? I want to fix things. When I see things are broken, I see things that need repair, I want to be able to fix the things. But this is one thing that I am unable to fix. I am unable to do anything about my own sin. 
I could try my hardest, I could do all the right things, but the gap would still be too large. I could not scale it on myself. There's only one way that the, that the gap can be closed, and that's through the cross. The cross is the only means that we are made right and forgiven. By Jesus as our mediator between us and God the Father, when he sees us, when God sees us, instead of seeing us, for the sinful, filthy people that we are. Instead, he sees us through the lens of Jesus, and he sees us as pure, and he sees us as holy. Forgiveness comes from the cross and the cross alone. Now we'll be moving over to Mark 15, 34, and it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Jesus screams out in pain. He screams out in agony at what is going on right now. Jesus is being forsaken at this moment. What does that mean? It's kind of a churchy word that we like to throw around sometimes. It means that Jesus in this moment is being abandoned by God. He is experiencing the pain of sin, separation from God in this moment. You see, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been in perfect relationship since the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time, for all eternity past, they've been perfect and loving relationship with one another. That means no fighting, no jealousy, no hate, no envy. They've been in perfect relationship for one another for all this time. And now Jesus is being ripped away from that. He's being ripped away from this, being abandoned and separated from the Father. We can't even imagine the pain that he'd be going through in this moment. Not just the physical pain or the mental pain, but the spiritual anguish that Jesus is suffering in that very moment. Look for us. Jesus was forsaken so that way you never have to be. Jesus was forsaken so that way you never have to be. He went through all of the pain for us. And the reality is this is our destiny. This is the trajectory that we are heading towards if Jesus does not intervene. Our trajectory is eternal separation. That's it. Without Jesus, that's, that's what happens to us. We will be eternally separated from the presence of God. But luckily, we have someone who steps in the middle of it. We have someone that comes in and takes the pain and takes that which we could not take ourselves. Through what Jesus has done, we do not need it to. But what Jesus does, and our relationship can be mended from that. Our relationship with Jesus, with God, can be restored. It can be made new. We're no longer alienated from the Father, but instead we're adopted in as a son or daughter. That's what it means, that he takes this punishment away from us. He takes what it means to be abandoned from God, and he takes it onto himself. And we're brought into intimacy with God, intimacy that was supposed to be like it was back in Eden. Going now, we move forward back into Luke, Luke 23, 43, but I wanna read a little bit more of the story. I'll be starting in 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and he said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Such powerful words. We see this interaction between Jesus and the two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And one mocks him like everyone else, hurls insults at him, saying, if you're God, if you're the Messiah, come down. Come down, take us with you. Why don't you actually do something instead of laying there like nothing, instead of doing nothing. But the other one steps in and rebukes him and saying, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know who this actually is. This person is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that is going to save us, to set us free. And he doesn't even ask to be saved. All he does is say, Jesus, please just remember remember me. When your kingdom comes to fruition, when it comes into its fullness, all I want is to be remembered by you. All I want to be is take a spot in your mind. Then Jesus tells him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. These men were criminals. These men deserved the punishment that was crucifixion. These people were not good guys. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst and the lowest of people. But we still see that grace is available to the least deserving. That grace is available to the least deserving of people. And these men, they've probably been terrible their own life. I mean, even the good criminal admits that to the punishment Deserve, like we deserve the punishment, that we have, done the, we have done the crime and now we're gonna pay the time, that we have done this and we deserve to be crucified, but this guy, Jesus does not deserve to be crucified. But Jesus, taking pity on this man, seeing his faith and seeing how in his last moments this man has trusted Jesus, he, takes, uh, he gives grace to this man. And the same is true for us as well. Because I know it's really easy, it's really easy to, to make the mistake that like, I'm too far gone. I've done too much. I've hurt too many people. I've done too terrible things. But that's not the truth. That there is redemption. There is the possibility of redemption through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So no matter who you are, No matter what you have done, there is grace, there is redemption, amen. Grace is available to the least of deserving. So don't think that what you've done is too far gone. Jesus is willing to meet you where you are at. Always remember that. As we move forward now, we move on to John 19 at 28. And it reads... Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And so you see that Jesus knows that everything is almost complete. He knows that his time here is coming to an end and his death is inevitable, that is coming to at hand. And so what he does is he requests a drink. He requests a drink and they give him some sour wine vinegar to drink. And in doing this, he fulfills uh, two prophecies, one in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, 15, and 69, 21, relating to the Messiah, who Jesus is. And you see, throughout Jesus' life, he's been fulfilling prophecies that have been made in the Old Testament by all the prophets from his birth 
to his ministry, to even now at his death, he has been fulfilling these prophecies, obeying God's will, obeying what God has him do. We see that Jesus has perfectly obeyed God in a way that we cannot. That Jesus has perfectly obeyed God in a way that we cannot. See, his whole time, his whole time here, he's been perfectly in obedience to God, submitting his will to what the Father's will actually is. But on our attempts to obey God's will, we fall short pretty much every single time. At times it feels like five minutes goes by and we're already going the wrong way. Like we try to follow God, to follow God, but then time is passing, then we've 180 away and we're doing something else, following what we wanna do, following our own desires, our own urges, our own will. And if we keep following that own will, it ultimately leads to our destruction. But luckily, Jesus was and is the perfect sacrifice, and he was able to obey God in a way that we can't. He was the fulfillment and the completion of the law, so that way we do not have to be. He is the perfect substitute for us. He is one without sin that takes on our sin. Through our sin, we cannot save ourselves, we cannot die for ourselves, but Jesus without sin has been able to take on our punishment for us. Jesus has perfectly obeyed in a way that we are never able to. And finally, as we land, we see Jesus' last words on the cross. We have two of them, one from Luke 23, 46, and one from John 19, 30. Luke 23, 46 says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And John 19, 30 says, it is finished. That it is done. And finally, we can imagine Jesus with a loud cry. He's on the cross, hanging there. And with one final attempt, he pushes himself up, grabs one final breath of air and exclaims for one final time that it is finished that it's done, that his work is finally complete. And this cry is not a cry of relief. It's not a cry of thank you, it's done. There's nothing more that I have to endure. There's nothing more that I have to go through. But this cry is a cry of victory. It's a cry of finality, that it is finished, that it is done that there is nothing else that has to be done. What had happened so long ago, when, first, when sin first crept into the world, when the snake first seduced Adam and Eve, what had happened so long ago and when the relationship was first fractured is finally done. It is slowly being reversed by what Jesus had to do in that moment. We see that the work that is necessary for salvation is complete. The work necessary for salvation is complete. Christ's work is finished. It's done, period. That's it. Nothing else. Salvation for his followers is achieved. It's like what Jesus said to the criminal. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, eventually. He doesn't say, maybe one day we'll see how it all plays out. We're not really sure. 
where he doesn't say, oh, we'll wait to the end of your life and we'll see if the good outbalances the bad and then we'll see where you go. But he says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. You have placed your faith in me and through that you have it today. The work has been completed. There's nothing more that we need to do. And we try, we try to think what else we can do, but all it is, is that's that simple. It's simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ, submitting our life to him. And it's a hard and tall task to do just that. We love to be in the driver's seat. We love to have our hand on the wheel. But it's a moment where we, if we want to fully trust in Christ, we need to take our hands off the wheel and let him drive. We need to let him be the one. We need to submit our lives to his, before his throne and let him be the one that is in charge. And that's, that's all you have to do. There's no more work that we have to do. There's no more work that he has to do. Salvation has been secured for us. When I, when I'm explaining to students, I like to use this illustration. Imagine that I come to your house and imagine I present to you a gift. Everything's done. I've already gone to the store, picked out the perfect gift for you, a gift that you will love and cherish for all of eternity. I've brought it home, I've wrapped it, and I've brought it back to you, and I've placed it on the table between us. All that's left for you to do is take it. But if you never take it, the gift is never yours. That's all you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. You don't have to pay me back. You don't have to work really hard for it. All you have to do is take the gift and unwrap it and enjoy what is inside. That's all that is left to do for us is just accept the gift. And so if you're in that space right now where you have been eyeing this gift for a long time, where you've been looking at it and you've been toying with it, and you're not sure if you actually want to take it for yourself, I just want to say, this is the day. This is the day that you take that first step where you submit yourself to God before his throne, saying, God, I don't want to be in the driver's seat anymore. I don't want to be in the passenger seat. Toss me in the trunk. I'll let you drive this thing, because if I drive it, it's not going to work. So I want everyone just to take one step back. Take one step back, and I want us to look and think about everything that has happened today, from Bill's reading to what Jesus' last words were on the cross. I want us to take a step back and ask ourselves one question. Why? Why did this happen? Why did Jesus have to die? And it's because of us. It's because of our sin. I want that. I want us to wrestle with that. And I want us, and that should stir you in some certain way. It should make us uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that we should fight it and run away with it. But I think we should sit in it we should really understand that it is because of our sin that Jesus had to come in. We are unable to save ourselves. It's like swimming with concrete shoes. It just doesn't work. Every, t- every paddle up is just two down. And eventually, we slowly sink away to the bottom of the sea with nothing to do, with no one to help us. We were in need of a savior. 
That was the one and only option. There was nothing that we could do, no matter how much we tried, no matter how much we swam, no matter how much we paddled, the bottom was always the option for us. The only way that we were going to be saved is someone came in and pulled us out and put us on dry land. It was because of our sin that someone else had to take our place. And so I want us to sit in that. And so throughout the rest of today, throughout the rest of Saturday, and even into Sunday morning, I want us to sit and take time and reflect. As you go home, don't look towards Easter. Don't think about the resurrection. Don't think about, oh my gosh, I can't wait to open up my Easter basket. But I want us to sit and actually be here. Sit in this uncomfortability. Think about the price that had to be paid for our sins. And then also we want to respond to that. We want to respond in joy, respond in thankfulness, respond in gratitude to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And because he did not have to, he didn't need to die for us. He did not have to die for us. Jesus, Jesus and the Trinity, they were fine. They were, they were okay just by themselves, just doing what they were doing. They did not need us. They did not have to die for us, but instead he chose to. Jesus chose to die for our sins. In my mind, that's the greatest display of love there is. When you don't have to do something, but you choose to do it anyway, that is love. When you, don't ha- when you don't have to do something, but you willingly step into the filth, step into the pain, step into the agony on behalf of someone else to get them out of it, that's what love really is. When you don't have to do something, but you say, you know what, I'll take it for them. I'll do that, I'll do that for them. I can take that penalty for them. That's what love really is. And Jesus displayed, for it, displayed it to us on the cross. And so we should forever be grateful and thankful for the price that he has paid for us. So let me pray to close. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. And I thank you for the price that was paid. And we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord. And we knew that we were not worthy that we do not deserve your grace, Lord, but you being who you are, being the loving, gracious, kind God decided to take our place. You sent your son into the darkness. You sent your son to earth to live the life that we could not live and die for us, Lord. And so we will always be grateful for what you have done, Lord. We thank you so much. Pray in your holy name. Amen.